Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. If you have a question, we would love to take it up during our next marriage hour. Just head over to our webpage. You can find us at relevantradio.com forward slash trending, email, connect on social media, ask your question. Here's something that I don't think I've ever shared with you before. I had a horrible, let me say that again, horrible marriage prep experience. Now our priest was fantastic, but here's the thing. We are often asked to go and attend a pre-cana course, and we're asked to go and attend a love encounter or marriage encounter, whatever, engaged encounter. There we go. That's what it is. Okay, these courses were terrible. Our priest was great, but these courses that we were required to kind of put that checkbox next to, they were terrible. And I'm coming at this because I have a background. I have a master's degree in theology. I have an undergraduate degree in communications and theology and philosophy. And I grew up cradle Catholic my whole life. And so to show up to a course and literally our bonding experience wasn't over the faith we were being taught. It was over the frustration of what was occurring. I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. One of the people that did our um, marriage encounter um, events that we did um, w- was someone who was like, yeah, I used to be a priest and then I left the priesthood and married this woman who was a nun. And yeah, I'm still a priest, but I let the priest, you know, celebrate mass. I'm telling you this because maybe you had a horrible, horrible marriage prep experience. Maybe you feel like you didn't learn what it was to be married in the Catholic church, what the sacrament was. What the responsibilities of couples and spouses being given practical steps and things to do in your faith to live out your vocation of marriage. So here's your crash course. This is for your marriage. This is what we do every single week on Trending. And this day in particular, I'm really excited about because we're going to be discussing everything from what does it mean to be a good wife? What does sacred scripture and the tradition of the church have to say? What are some great qualities to look for in a husband and to show as a man wanting to be a future husband? We'll talk about also what the purpose of marriage is. I actually want to start here today. And we'll also cover battling weaknesses in marriage. But if we discuss the purpose of marriage, we also have to discuss how to bolster up our own virtue in Catholicism. So we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins the capital virtues that oppose them. We'll talk about the four cardinal virtues. These are all basic things that we should know as Catholics and be prepared to live out and teach to those around us. So let's dig in. First of all, it's really important that we're pondering, and I think that this is something that unfortunately we just lose sight of. The tradition of the church has always held that marriage has a purpose. 
the primary end of marriage is oriented toward the procreation and education of children. Now, that can be a lot to swallow in a culture where people are struggling with fertility, infertility. And many people are saying, I don't want to have kids. Well, you may not want to have kids, but then you shouldn't get married in the Catholic Church. That's actually grounds for annulment if you enter into marriage and you're not open to life. Just saying. And we can deal with that if you have a question about that at another time. But as I've been pondering this whole issue of a really lousy engage encounter and pre-cana, all of these different things that occurred, I was even told, let me tell you this, we weren't allowed to refer to our significant other as our, you know, for example, like fiance, because that's offensive to those people who were in the room who perhaps weren't engaged yet, or perhaps were married and they were having their their wedding celebrated in the church. I'm sorry, but if you're coming to an engaged encounter and you were married before and now you're wanting to get married in the church, whatever your situation is, you shouldn't be offended if most people there are getting married in the church and they want to refer to their spouse as a fiance. So even the silly, I mean, language game occurred. And I'm not trying to sit here and complain and complain, but I think it's important that we do acknowledge there are incredibly frustrating moments in our Catholic catechesis and formation, you are not alone. If you were frustrated and you feel like you didn't get anything, you didn't receive tools, that's why you listen to Relevant Radio. And this is our weekly marriage hour. And so if a marriage has a purpose, then this gives us the opportunity for purposeful living in marriage so that we're no longer floundering when we're living out our marriage vows. If it has a purpose, well, guess what? Marriage has a God-given mission. I mentioned a minute ago, the end of marriage is a procreation education of children. This is really important. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're unable to have children, that you can just write off motherhood and fatherhood, because there is such a thing as spiritual motherhood and fatherhood that is so important. Even if you're not married, this is part of who we are as men and women, to foster faith, goodness, and virtue in other people and the friendships we engage with. And the opportunity also for adoption, if that is a great challenge, when the time comes, potentially, if that is something that you are being called to as a couple. And if you're not married yet, stay with us because these are all very important things to better understand marriage, but also to better understand yourself and growing in virtue. So here's the deal. If the procreation education of children are the end of marriage. There are a few things that are really important. Three things. One is that it teaches the married persons to think about others versus just focusing on marriage as being a sense of togetherness and companionship. We've been talking recently about how supposedly relationships, long-term relationships are going to be on an uptrend due to COVID and people so lonely. They want long-term relationships. They're not talking marriage. They're talking about the sense of togetherness and companionship. Now, naturally, God created marriage in from a natural understanding of what marriage is, actually the Council of Trent talks about how this is one of the few things that we need to understand in what natural marriage is. It is companionship. It is having someone to be with long term and to care with and care for one another in our old years. But that's not all that it is. And that's just on the natural level. It doesn't enter into the level of the sacrament. Marriage is sacred. This is what Jesus did. 
to bring about the seven sacraments. He brought marriage into one of those sacraments, sanctifying it as a vocation. So again, emphasizing number one, marriage is about the other. It helps us bring us out of our attitude of togetherness and companionship. Because let's be real, at a certain point, when we're so focused in our Shangri-La, our honeymoon phase, there's more than just you and me. There's the world around us, and we're called not so much to, I remember it said once, not to just look at marriage as looking at each other face to face, because let's be honest, that can get boring. And it can lead us to have unrealistic expectations of one another and look to the other person to define and be our happy place. That's a problem. No, marriage is meant to go out. This is why procreation and education of children is so important. It orients and it gives the couple a mission, a mission of love, of collaboration, cooperation. And there is togetherness and companionship on this mission which is so important for us to understand, especially as we're going to talk about the role of a wife and the role of a husband. Number two, with regard to this marital purpose of procreation and education, well, having kids is hard work. Let me just say it again. Having kids is hard work. It's a joy. It's joy. I've seen my friends struggle and battle, but love their children and find so much joy in the sacrifice. I will be perfectly frank with you. I have been up since at least to 3 a.m. That's when we finally looked at the clock. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, it could have been one o'clock, two o'clock, but it's been my joy to take care of my baby. It challenges me. It grows me. I get to spend time with her, be face to face, see this little human growing in their character and laughter and smiling. It's a joy to be able to partake in the greatest mission of all, helping to form another person. You know, so many people want to go out and do humanitarian work. They want to go out and help change the world. Wow. A way to change the world is to love children, raise them, raise them in their faith and in virtue. And so as I say that the procreation education of children is hard work, it's not just good vibes. You know, sometimes I think people get married and they, you know, write their own cute vows. And don't get me wrong, if you wrote your own vows, it's a great thing. But there's a problem if we kind of just think like good vibes your way, sending good vibes your way. No. Marriage is hard work. And I hate it when people refuse to say, I'm praying for you. And they instead say, you know, good vibes, thoughts and feelings coming at you. Well, Here's the reality. When we say we're praying for you, we recognize that we need God. And so this whole mission of procreation education is hard work, but we do it with God. And third, it's important to understand why the procreation education of children as the end of marriage. Well, because it refers to the sexual complementarity. Biologically, physiologically, on the level of the brain, neuroscience, intellectually, and the soul. Even the church refers to how we are male and female down to the core of our soul. The soul is the form of the body. The physical body is just the matter. The soul, the form is acting on the matter. The two are supposed to act in cooperation, not against each other. But sometimes we get that wrong in our fallen nature. 
Now, the Council of Trent actually refers to, especially in the catechism that came out of the Council of Trent, which was part of the response to the Protestant Reformation. I love, you know, sometimes we just read, you know, the latest catechism that came out in the 1990s, reaffirming what the top church teaches, or sometimes we just read the latest encyclical from the Pope. These are all great things. We should do that. But we should also look to the great history and breadth and living reality of the church that we have had for over, I mean, over 2,000 years, because we don't just have dating from the time of Christ, but even the tradition of the Jewish people. We are Judeo-Christians. They were people of profound faith, faith in the same God. They just didn't know about the Trinity yet. They didn't know about Jesus Christ. And so the Council of Trent and its catechism talks about how parents are called to teach and bring up their children in the practice of piety, faithfulness, a sense of reverence and awe before God, and to bring them up in virtue. This is so important. But I think the challenge, and this comes back to the story I told you just a little bit about my awful experience with marriage encounter or engaged encounter and pre-kina, all of that. The challenge, the challenge was that they weren't talking about how do you be a good spouse, a Catholic spouse? How do you raise your children Catholic? And part of the reason why, and I didn't get to why it was terrible other than kind of that fallen away priest who was spewing crazy things. Um, but it was also challenging because you show up and everyone's in like these messy pre-marital situations. And I noticed that it seemed like no one cared that people were struggling with where they were at prior to entering into marriage. And a lot of people were showing up to engage and encounter and so forth because they wanted to get married in the church, but they didn't know what it meant to get married in the church. Or they were pleasing their parents who wanted them to marry in the church. Or they wanted to marry a beautiful building of the Catholic church, which is all great. But then let's give the richness of the Catholic faith. Let's not literally, there were rocks. Let me just tell you this. There were rocks on our table with cute words like kindness and love. And we had to like pick up the rock. And then we were told like, what do you picture God as? You could picture him as whatever you want. I felt like a two-year-old where I should have been taught that God doesn't look like an octopus. Instead, I was being told, imagine whatever you want about God. What what word makes you feel good when you think about God? I mean, these were literally things that we were doing during our engaged encounter. And it did not help in understanding who God is and what he calls me to and how much he loves me and how he will help me in the good times and the bad of marriage. And so what can be passed on to children? Well, Here's the deal. We can't give what we don't have. And this is so important for us to recall, because do we know our faith? Do we know some of the primary things that we're called to live out and pass on? Yes, we may know the seven sacraments and which three sacraments are the sacraments of initiation. I hope. We may be able to explain in a simple way what a sacrament is, even though a sacrament is both a sign and a mystery, right? of God's grace effectively working in our lives. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio during our weekly marriage hour. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe to the podcast, download the Relevant Radio app, and invite other people to listen to the show. You can find us at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. So, 
fostering the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love in children is so important. Their theological virtues, they are utter and complete gifts infused upon us. And I think that as a parent, it takes removing ourselves from being the center of our child's life to reminding them that God is their hope. He is the true model of love. And we are called to have perpetual faith in him. We need to foster these theological virtues, help our kids be predisposed to these theological virtues and ask ourselves, are we predisposed to them? Are we asking for these virtues ourselves? But I want to talk practically about the four cardinal virtues and then also discuss the seven deadly sins and the seven capital virtues that can help us in how we live out the marital vocation and pass the faith on to kids. Because we're told that we're supposed to help teach kids to bring them up in the practice of piety and of virtue. But I don't think many people can name virtues And really ponder how to grow in them. First, of course, asking for the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. For God's life within us. St. Thomas Aquinas, when referring to the cardinal virtues, talks about them essentially as the control of the appetites. Now, the four cardinal virtues, can you name them? Think about the four four doorposts. These are truly the the doorposts, the, the doorway to the moral life. The cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Now, prudence is really that number one of the four cardinal virtues, and really they help to unlock the other three cardinal virtues. They flow from here. So prudence is having right reason with regard to how we interact in our moral life. Now, this is important because you may recall during our weekly happy hour last week, you can listen to the podcast. If you're not already subscribed, go find it. I talked about how anger can actually be a good thing. But most of us, when we're acting angry, it's not in accord with what actual good and true anger is. It's just us reacting to our bruised pride, reacting to our fear and discomfort and lashing out at ourselves or others. But what Thomas Aquinas defined true righteous anger is anger which follows reason. It's in the line of reason. It's a reasonable. Now, prudence is where we have reason with regard to our moral life. Thomas Aquinas refers to this as being consistent in rational considerations. So we're consistent in our ethics. So that requires a consistency of character. Don't we love it when someone shows consistency? We could even, I guess, kind of say predictability, but predictability in terms of how someone is going to react morally and rightly is a good thing. Why? Because prudence is not arbitrary, emotional driven actions and movements and reactions to what happens around us. No, prudence has reason with regard to how we're going to interact in our moral life. And this is what unlocks the three other cardinal virtues. Now, temperance has to do with yourself. Temperance has to do with self-regulation, moderation. It's a sense of controlling your passions. A great example of practicing temperance is when we moderate our food intake. When we moderate, making sure we drink enough water that is proper to hydrate and keep healthy the body. 
It's so funny. People complain they're always running to the doctor for a pill having to do with skin problems, liver problems. I'm not saying water fixes everything, but so many people don't drink enough water. And this is at the core of weight issues and so many other things of flushing out our system. And I think it's so profound from a Catholic perspective because the first sacrament of initiation is what? Baptism. Baptism being born anew in God and God uses water because water cleanses both physically and spiritually. And yet we're not engaging enough with this great gift, this element of water that God has given us. The second of, and maybe, sorry, I'll just wrap that up. Maybe drinking more water is a great way to start moderating your life of being responsible for consuming enough water to take care of your body. But moderation also has to do with moderating your reaction to other people. Just because someone did something outrageous against you doesn't mean that you can have an outrageous reaction. Your reaction to, for example, and I've learned this to my baby girl who's kept me up since 2 a.m. should be radically different than if perhaps my husband intentionally kept me up from 2 a.m. And even then moderation is required. Even if I fail at it at times. Yes, my baby has had a substance. I don't know. We saw the clock at three, maybe one, maybe two. But then the next of the virtues, so temperance has to do with yourself, self-regulation. Now, justice, a third of the four cardinal virtues, has to do with other people. It has to do with what is properly due to them, giving others their due. It's so fascinating because so often we think of justice, unfortunately, according to the idea of karma, you know, they got what they deserved. Justice actually has to do with what you give to others and not just what you give to others, but what is their due, what you owe them. For example, if someone is hungry and you are well fed and you have the capacity to share, you giving someone funding for food or giving them some of your food, that's not you being charitable. That's you being just. You had enough. They actually have a right to what you have. Isn't that mind-boggling? I remember when I learned this one day in Catholic social teaching. Oh, wow. So all these moments where we often think we're being so charitable because we're giving to the poor and so on. No, we're just giving in excess what we have. We're not giving where it is a gift beyond what they deserve. Now, the fourth of of the cardinal virtues is fortitude. Taking a stand even against our own passions, our own desires and disordered desires. Now, fortitude is acting in the face of fear, even to the point of death, a death to self. No longer just following our desires and our whims, especially when it comes to standing for the kingdom of God. There may come a day in our lives or in the lives of our children in the next generation that we are helping to build up, whether you have children or not, where people will be called to be martyred again in the Western world, in the United States. Martyrdom isn't that far away from us. Just travel across the great ocean. We see martyrdom in places such as China. We see martyrdom all over the Middle East. Will we have... 
the cardinal virtue of fortitude, to act in the face of fear, even denying ourselves, standing against our own passions and our own comfort, to do what is right if the time comes. But in the meantime, do we have enough fortitude to eradicate sin from our lives, to battle those disordered desires that aren't leading us to virtue, that aren't leading us closer to God? This is why I love these four cardinal virtues. And this is why we're going to continue to discuss what, for example, the seven deadly sins are and what are the capital virtues that oppose them. Because we need to know our faith and live it. We can't give what we don't have in marriage and to our children. So join me. Don't go away. We'll be discussing what it means to be a good wife, what qualities to have as a husband, and much more during our weekly happy hour here on Trending. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. If you have a question related to marriage, you want us to take it up during the show, head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Ask your questions. We'd be glad to take it up as a topic for the show. So I mentioned earlier, I told the story about how I had a horrible experience at the Engaged Encounter and Pre-Cana retreats and day-long weekend events that they had. It was horrible. I mentioned there was... Um, a man teaching who used to be a priest and told a story about how both he and his wife, who was also a nun, left and how, you know, he just lets the priest celebrate mass. And, you know, even though he's still a priest in his eyes, I mean, oh, and there's a lot more that could be said theologically with regard to that. But it it was not a good experience. And just one other example, I'll give because I know a lot of other people have shared this with me. They did not learn about their faith. They did not learn about Catholicism. They did not learn about the sacrament and receive tools for their marriage from their marriage prep. And, this is really important. My priest was great for marriage prep, but we have to go through all of these checkbox items that sometimes are required in order to marry in the church. And here's the deal. This is just one more example. The presenters during marriage prep even said when they threw up their slideshow that they hadn't looked at these slides in like over a year. And they were trying to figure out and remember what they were talking about. And they'd like come to a slide, they like stare at it for a while. Oh yeah, oh yeah, so this is this. And it was not something that they were rehearsed, refreshed in. You should be having 10 out of 10 people. Like someone who, if you were to talk about the quality of how they understand what the church teaches about marriage, they should be well rehearsed and be able to share it and interact with it. And so this is part of the reason why we have our weekly marriage hour on trending. And so I was sharing about what the primary end of marriage is, procreation, education of children. Even if you don't have kids, again, if you miss that part of the show, podcast is available every night. It'll be available tonight. Head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending. You can't give what you don't have in marriage. And some of what we need is virtue. Now, we've heard before, and maybe you don't have them memorized, but we've heard before that there are Seven deadly sins, also known as the seven capital sins. But not often enough do we give a comparison of how, okay, here are the seven deadly sins, like the worst sins you could commit. But did you know that there are seven capital virtues that actually oppose them? So the seven deadly sins, lust, greed, gluttony, envy, anger, also known as wrath, pride, and sloth. 
Well, there are opposing virtues that we can all work on fostering. And sometimes the greatest way, and here's a hint, you want to do something, you want to grow in chastity, you want to grow in generosity, you want to work on living a Catholic marriage, read about these things. Read about the people who personify them. Reading about the things we want to do, the people we want to come to become will help us to become them. They will give us a witness. So often I've had people with regard to marriage say, listen, I want a Catholic marriage. I'm understanding what it is, but I've had no role models or examples of this for marriage in my life. What can I do? Well, one, I recommend start making friends, mentors, ask at your church for people, for a mentor couple. Even if you're married, did you know that you can find mentor couples, couples who are ahead of you, even at least just by a few years in marriage, who can be a witness and a model to you, even if it's as simple as helping you to understand working through finances, the challenges of having a family, the challenges of getting along with your spouse, Most parishes today are actually eager to help set up mentor couples, or they might be willing if you simply ask your priest. So here are the seven capital virtues that oppose the seven deadly sins. And I'll list them and then we'll go through a comparison. Chastity, generosity, temperance, brotherly love, meekness, humility, and diligence. So when we're looking at these, it's important for us to ponder the first, the one that so many people want to talk about, and it is very much so related to marriage, because this is our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. Chastity opposes the deadly sin of lust. None of us can say that lust isn't an issue today. You have to intentionally remove things from your screen, block certain social media accounts, use filtration software such as Covenant Eyes, from covenanteyes.com to help filter the exposure we have to images of other people that can actually chink away at our fidelity within marriage, chink away at chastity. Remember, chastity is faithfulness to your vocation, whether you're married, you're single, you're religious, you're a priest. Chastity recognizes that we do have sexual desires, but it also recognizes but that they can be lived out in accord only with our state in life. Most people today have so many opportunities to just fall away from this understanding of being faithful to themselves and faithful to their vocation and chastity, having what we could also refer to as sexual integrity. And so chastity, that's one to really ponder what areas in my life am I struggling with lust? And how can I create boundaries for myself and also be aware of, listen up, my triggers, so that I don't create infidelity within my marriage or infidelity to myself? Because chastity is first and foremost about you and about your faithfulness to your vocation. The second of the capital virtues opposing deadly sin is generosity. Generosity helps us in the battle against the sin of greed. I was not generous as a child when it came to sharing with my siblings. To this day, I'm the butt of jokes about how terrible I was, and I still have work to go in terms of generosity. I do notice, you know, you can be incredibly ungenerous in one area of your life and extremely generous in others. 
And generosity is one where we can take stock. You know, you might think, well, how I'm doing great because I'm doing X to be generous to particular people or particular situations. But then if you pull back and realize there are lots of areas where I have not been very generous at all. I've been greedy, perhaps with my time, with my energy, with my means, with my gifts. And so a good way to ponder generosity is how can I give more when it comes to my time, talent and treasure? Another way to listen and see where we're struggling in generosity and needing to battle greed is what do people complain about with regard to us? What criticism? This will help us to understand where we're maybe struggling in terms of these seven deadly sins and what opposing capital virtue we have that we need to develop. The third of the seven capital virtues is temperance. Now, temperance, we've already discussed here, helps us with regard to our self self-regulation, having self-control, having control over our passions and ultimately implementing moderation. I gave the example of how we can actually not just implement temperance in terms of what we shouldn't do, but in terms of what we should also do for our body, moderating the quantity of water we take in, moderating the quantity of chips that I may want to eat today, moderating my angry response to the people who upset me, based on the situation, based on their age. And also moderating the type of correction. I know that this is one I can be so bossy. My poor husband, he has had to learn that like I love, so this is funny. Have you ever done the strengths finder test? I highly recommend it. So I'm a learner. um, So learning is something that's very important to me. Um, Someone with a profound belief. So I'm holding to a good belief system and that that can be lived out in the work that I do. Um, I can't remember all of them. One of them is context. I'm good at understanding the context of things. Um, And then another one of them is command. (laughs) I laughed hysterically. Um, Command is one of my five strengths. And that can also mean, you know, you're kind of trying to control others. It can be a weakness as well. Um, But, you know, always trying to control and tell people how to do things. Well, you have to moderate that. Sometimes our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And so we have to have moderation and control in terms of how we tell people to do things, what we tell them to do. Intemperance is huge in battling gluttony. I am so, I think it's nasty when people post hashtag food porn, one, because porn is just never acceptable and we shouldn't make a joke about it, especially related to food. I mean, that just makes me not want to eat my food. I don't know about you. So temperance is an incredible, incredible one of the seven capital virtues to live out. And it's one of the four cardinal virtues that we just walked through and discussed a few minutes ago. If you missed it, head over to the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Envy. This is one that social media especially fosters for us women. Envy, becoming jealous. So jealous is kind of where we want something that another person has, but envy is when we hate someone for what they have that we want. And envy, I think that so many of us, our jealousy is like right on the verge of envy. It's becoming envious or it could become more and more envious. Um, But brotherly love is the capital virtue that helps us to overcome that envy that jealousy that's sneaking into our lives, especially because of our overexposure to always seeing what other people have and what other people do, whatever other people achieve. It's great to celebrate others. It's great to see what other people's accomplishments are. But at a certain point, we're receiving too much information about other people and it's stirring within us this frustration 
God didn't create us with a cell phone and a computer screen glued to us. Because there's only so much we can take in upon our senses. And that's why yesterday on Trending, I talked about six really important tips for moderating our social media and technology use. And there's a big reason why I'm not going to tell you today, because if you missed it, you need to go and listen to the podcast now, because it really helps us to understand what the goal of social media is and how that might not be your same goal when using it. You're listening to Trending with Tim right here on Relevant Radio. So we talked about meekness, uh, or sorry, meekness is next. Sorry, I'm coming back to brotherly love for just a second, because we're talking about the deadly sin of envy. Brotherly love is what can help us to overcome this loving our neighbor, truly loving our neighbor in a familial way that is wanting what's best for them, giving them our best, being charitable toward them, but also being just toward them, giving them what is due to them. And I think brotherly love, especially as it relates to envy, is being proud of other people for what they do and telling them that. Especially for us as women, compliment other women. Compliment the good in their lives. Compliment what they have, even if it's something perhaps you want. I think this is so important. I was thinking of a friend of mine who, um, she, you can pray for her. She really wants to be married. Beautiful person. You know, it's one of those, if you are single and you're wanting to get married, know that I'm praying for you and with you. You can send us your name. We'll pray with you and for you. Um, but I was thinking about how she's longed for so long to get married. And it's one of those, I don't understand, like, why she hasn't, why no one has just come up and swept her off of her feet. And something I really admire about her is even in the face of this deep longing on her heart to be married, she has such an admiration and respect for other people's marriages and for their spouses. And she can always see and respect the beautiful qualities in husbands. She can laugh at the silly moments, but boy, she always has so many compliments for the husbands that she sees in her friends' lives. And I think that that's such a good thing. She affirms marriage, even in the face of wanting it. I can tell that she's someone who's overcome this frustration potential that could be there to possibly be jealous, to be envious, because someone else has what you want. Meekness is another one of the seven virtues that the capital virtues that help us to oppose deadly sin. Now, meekness helps us in overcoming that deadly sin of anger and wrathfulness. Now, meekness is a word that we don't really talk about a lot. I don't know about you, but I always have to kind of get this refresher like, okay, Lord, help me to understand what meekness is. Uh, We read in secret scripture that, for example, Moses was meek. Now, which is hilarious because he comes down from Mount Sinai as the people are literally like engaging in fornication, idolatry, worshiping a golden calf. I mean, I can't even imagine what he saw when he came down. Well, he threw the Ten Commandment stones, thrashed those two stones, tablets down on the ground. So remember, anger can be reasonable. Only true anger is reasonable. But meekness, so Moses was meek. True meekness is part of the virtue of temperance as it opposes vice of anger. So meekness helps us, in a sense, to regulate those reactions we have, to follow right reason, which makes anger justifiable, not just lashing out based on our bruised pride, ego, fear, or discomfort. 
Father John Hardin said it in this way. This is a virtue that moderates anger and it's a disorderly effects. It is a form of temperance that controls every inordinate movement of resentment at another person's character or behavior. I love that. So it controls every inordinate movement of resentment toward another. Boy, resentment is something we struggle with. And I think resentment is fostering rancor in so many people's hearts today. And so work on meekness, pray for the gift of meekness, for this virtue. St. Francis de Sales was known for being gentle and for his mildness and patience and meekness. But did you know that St. Francis de Sales had a horrible temper? He was easily provoked to anger. Yet he was known for meekness, which is the exact opposite virtue against the deadly sin of anger. I imagine it was something he practiced at and we have to pray for this as well. Six of these primary virtues that we need to battle deadly sins. Humility battles pride. How can we humble ourselves? By taking the lesser seat, standing in the back, being silent when we have an opinion at moments. I'm not saying to be silent and not to speak up truth, but sometimes doing better at listening to others. Humility can also be humbling yourself, laughing at yourself. We talked this week during our weekly happy hour on Monday about being able to laugh more and how I've been learning to laugh at myself, laugh at difficult situations as a new parent. The seventh of the deadly sins is sloth, and what helps us in battling sloth is diligence. To be diligent in life, to take action, to diligently move forward, to stay the course rather than allowing ourselves to become that couch potato, to become the person who just can't get anything done. I always find it fascinating. People who are slothful, I think, view themselves and divine themselves often according to their slothfulness. Well, I just can never get anything done. I'm always the loser. We kind of tend to think of ourselves in this lowly, lousy state rather than being diligent, taking action, and getting things done. This is why people love some revolutionaries, I think, in our day-to-day, such as Jordan Peterson. Put your shoulders back. Stand up tall. Take action. Also, retired Navy SEAL Jocko Willink. People love what he has to say. Get after it. These simple phrases that these people are creating revolutions among young men today because they're telling them, stay the course, be diligent. They're teaching a Catholic virtue ethics without using faith-based understanding. And this is the great clincher here. We have an incredible Catholic faith that can help us grow in all of these virtues, battle these vices, and help us to pass them on to our kids. How? One, pray about them. Two, read about them. But ask for these to be infused, to be gifts that we receive from God so that we can have what we so desperately need to and want to pass on to those around us to build up the next generation for faith and what they will endure and what their trials will be. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about what a good wife looks like and what a man should have as a good husband. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending 
What does it mean to be a good wife? What does sacred scripture have to tell us? And what are good qualities to have as a husband? Whether you're searching, you're in it, you've been there, you're seasoned. Looking to the tradition of the church and sacred scripture is a helpful and dutiful reminder of the huge challenges of what it means to be a Catholic wife and a Catholic husband. There, There's no like low expectations here. The bar is very high, and I don't know about you, but I fall very short of this, and I need to remind myself regularly of the great tradition richness that we have before us. So we'll just lay it on hard here because Scripture is pretty darn clear. Whether we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 3 in the New Testament or Ephesians chapter 5, this idea of wives being submissive and subject to their husbands is something that's very important, very clear in Scripture, although uncomfortable to discuss. Remember, what does submissive mean? It means to be sub, means under, missive, mission, to be under the same mission. This is why it's important who we marry, who we choose to marry as women. It really matters because we are called to be under the same mission as our spouse and to respect that God has given the God-given role to husbands and fathers to be leaders and protectors and providers of the home. And so we have to allow for that room for a husband to be a leader, even if he's struggling to figure it out. St. Peter talks about how, if you didn't know this, in the early church, it was women who were converting in droves to Christianity. And men weren't quite coming along, and many women would ask the saints, the apostles, what do I do? My husband's not there, you know. And they received a lot of instruction from the apostles on what to do. And St. Peter, our first pope, would talk about how important this subjection to the husbands was, respecting both the natural and the God-given ordination of marriage, the order of it. He also discussed how husbands could be won over by the conversation of their wives, by the example, by their chaste conversation, by being holy women. Remember, what does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be set apart. You're God's portion. And so do you function in a way that shows that you have truly set yourself apart for God? There's this beauty of your soul, not just the beauty of how you adorn yourself, as St. Peter refers to. It's the beauty of the person that you are. And some people say, whoa, women are supposed to be subject and submissive to their husbands? Yup. You have a problem? Sure, write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about this more. Let's unpack this more. I like to unpack this regularly here on Trending because it's so important, especially especially when we understand what the man's mission is. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. What does it mean? What are good qualities to have as a husband and a father? But understand this, the understanding of marriage for wives to be submissive, to be subject to their husbands, started far, far, far before the time of Christ. It started at the beginning of the world. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, read them. 1, 2, and 3. Read Genesis. There's so many good examples to understand how marriage went well and how it went wrong based on what the patriarchs of our faith did and did not do. Genesis chapter 2, when God created Eve after it was discovered that Adam was alone in the garden, as God says, Adam was alone. He created Eve and refers to Eve as a helpmate, a helper for Adam. 
And this is really important for us to ponder because first and foremost, Adam was in the garden alone. He was looking at all the creatures and the complementarity, both sexually and in terms of how they interact of the animals to one another, that they were similar. And so when we hear the word helpmate, we have to understand that helpmate refers to this similarity that Adam and Eve had to one another on a physiological, biological, intellectual level being created both in God's image and likeness, unlike the animals that weren't created in that same way. They were created, but not in God's image and in God's likeness. And so to be a helpmate also means that you're a helper, you're a compliment, you're cooperating, you're submitting one another to the mission God has in store. And in fact, Ephesians chapter five, prior to St. Paul giving the command, giving this proper order, ordering of marriage of wives being submissive to husbands, he first refers to husbands and wives being submissive to one another, to cooperating, to returning to Eden, to understanding that humanity is meant to be in collaboration and start by modeling this in your own heart, in your own marriage, in your own home. And then understand the proper ordering of marriage. And this is how far the proper ordering of marriage goes. What are good things to have, qualities to have as a husband, to look for in a husband? Are you willing to die for those you love? St. Paul made it very clear, Ephesians chapter 5. He calls women to their mission. He calls men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He laid down his life for his bride. And we were just discussing the seven deadly sins and the seven capital virtues that oppose those seven deadly sins. And what do we learn through those? Especially if we were to talk about the cardinal virtue of fortitude. Taking a stand against our own passions. Dying to our own desires to serve and love others. To step into that God-given mission to lead, protect, and provide. And to do that by dying to self to give to others. That means when you get home, you don't, you're not off when you get home from work. You're on in your marriage and loving your family. That means when you're challenged with particular situations at work that could lead you to struggle with chastity, you're dying to yourself, you're choosing your spouse, you're choosing your family. Husbands future husbands be willing to die to yourself as Christ did his 11 closest friends died martyrdom bloody martyrdom St. John's the only one who did it if you want to know what it means to be a man if you want to know how to love your bride or the bride that you chose in the church if you are ordained as a priest or discerning the priesthood learn that what you are called to may not be a bloody martyrdom like so many of the saints who have gone before us but that is a true path to holiness and there is such a thing as a white martyrdom as saint mother Teresa has referred to and that is this death to self that is being an advocate for truth and life and faith and a culture that is so hungry for holy marriages but we need to know what marriages are first 